Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 5 through 8 this morning. And let us come before the Lord and pray that He would bless the reading and the preaching of His Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again that we live in a country where we are free to come and worship you openly, Lord, that we don't have to be in hiding, that we don't have to run for our lives, Lord, that we still in this moment live in a place of relative peace, that there is not war being waged inside of our own country. Father, we realize that you have blessed us more than we can possibly deserve, but even more than that. You've given us the blessing of your word so that we can know you. I pray, Father, that you would use your word today, that you would use it to divide our hearts and remove from us the things that are unfitting and unworthy. I pray that you would use your word today to transform us more and more into the image of your son, that you would use your word to open our eyes to the things that you would have us do, Lord, that you would help us to see how you would have us live. But more importantly, you would help us to to continually see the grace that you have poured out upon us, Lord. Your grace, like rain, does uh, fall on us, Lord. You've given us more grace than we can possibly ever imagine. And I pray, Father, that you would continue to bless us that way. I pray for your blessing on your word and the preaching of your word today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. And the word of the sovereign Lord reads, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins. This is the word of the Lord. The late Jerry Bridges. By the way, if you get an opportunity to read any book by Jerry Bridges, I would encourage you to do so. Um, But he wrote in one of his books that we tend to drag up our old sins... And we tend to live under a vague sense of guilt. We are not nearly as vigorous as appropriating God's forgiveness as He is in extending it. Consequently, instead of living in the sunshine of God's forgiveness through Christ, we tend to live under an overcast sky of guilt most of the time. So our text talks about blessing and being blessed. But what does that even mean? mean to be blessed? I mean, I I know that might, in this context, seem like a silly question. We're Christians, right? We say, you know, blessing and blessed, and God bless you all the time. But what is it? Is it a a physical thing? Is it an external thing? Again, we hear people all the time saying, God bless you when you sneeze. I've even met Christians who've made a point to have a a ready response. Anytime you ask them, how are you doing? They say, I am blessed and highly favored. But what, again, does that even mean? What does it mean to be blessed? Do we as Christians really even know? Or are we just simply mimicking what everyone else around us is doing? Burke Parsons, who uh, is part of Ligonier Ministry, but also at one point in time almost... uh, was part of the Backstreet Boys. (laughs) He notes that uh, in our day, blessings are thrown around so flippant and indiscriminately that the word blessing or blessed has all but lost its meaning. 
People speak of feeling blessed and having a blessed day or a blessed life when and everything is going well and nothing too severe is bothering them in the moment. Is, is that what a blessing is? Is that what it means to be blessed where you are just living the good life? Or is it when the circumstances in your life are all good and nothing really too wrong is happening? Is that, are we blessed then? Is it when we experience those brief moments in life where there's no major cataclysms? You know what I'm talking about. You kind of wake up one day and go, wait a minute, everybody's alive and healthy and nothing really is that wrong, right? Is, is that what being blessed is? I think many people believe that it is. Many people believe and associate material things and positive outcomes and feeling good as being blessed. Maybe that's why the prosperity gospel is so attractive to so many people. Why so many people come to God believing that God exists to bless them with material possessions like cars and money and homes. Why so many people believe that God exists to bless their bodies and continually heal them and give them a blessed, long, prosperous life. Why so many people believe that God exists simply to bless them and give them what they need so they can be happy. So many people think that that's what the Bible means when they read the word blessed. And people believe, right? And believe me, more people, more people than you know actually have this outlook. In fact, it's, it's in our culture. How often have we used the expression blessing or blessed. We've all actually seen the social media declaration. We've even used this social media declaration. You know, hashtags, right? Hashtag blessed. I mean, I know I have. As Tony Ranke puts it, he goes, hashtag blessed is a social media tag for when someone feels blessed and who has or is getting everything they've dreamed of getting. It can range from getting a new girlfriend or a new job or a, a pay raise, or, or finding a $10 bill on the sidewalk, or getting you know, surprisingly good news. But is that really what it means, again, what the Bible means when it says blessed? Is that the biblical understanding of, of the idea that to have good things happening to you? And again, I know for many that it is. For many people, Being blessed by God is having material and physical blessings. And this emphasis on external and material blessings has led many people to embrace the prosperity gospel. And and the example and the emphasis on external and physical things has influenced how even the church operates in the world today. Have you ever wondered why the church today in America, even with the way things are going, still continues to live in the seeker-sensitive movement trying to figure out how to attract or be a blessing to non-believers who have no interest in Christ. In the American church, there has been a de-emphasis on making God the center and the focus of our worship and an emphasis on making the attenders the focus of our worship. Why? Because we want to be a blessing to them rather than being a blessing to the God we serve. It's about how, what they want. It's about what they like. It's about what they feel. That's why the church tries to make pleasant music that's pleasant enough to make people feel something and lyrics that are not so religious but are ambiguous enough that they can kind of fit their individual identities into the music rather than declaring the truth about God. That's why the church tries to make sermons short enough and inspiring enough to give someone an emotional lift for them to go home. Because we just want to be a blessing to them. But is that what it means to be blessed? To have an emotional church experience, to leave the church on an emotional high. And I want you to know, I've been to churches like that and I've experienced that and it feels pretty good for a little while. But is that what it means to be blessed? The emphasis today seems to be about finding a way to bless people with with enough entertainment and creature comforts and emotional experiences because we want them to come back. 
to the church and hopefully stick around. And the hope is that these people will stay connected long enough to the church that they'll encounter Christ in some mystical way, and then eventually maybe they might come to faith in Him. That's really kind of the, 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 the American Christian way of doing ministry. That if we just do our best to bless people, right, and satisfy their consumerist tendencies, they might get saved. Well, the church rationalizes that even if that never actually happens, at least we've been a blessing to them. We've blessed them with community. We've blessed them with fellowship. We've blessed them with their physical needs. And please hear me. Fellowship is absolutely a blessing. Community is a blessing and it's an important, vital part of, Christian, of the Christian life. And meeting people's needs is a blessing to the one who receives the, those, the, uh, the portion. And also the one who actually giving it, the one who's doing the work, gets blessed by it. And yes, music is absolutely a blessing. Right? And an inspiring sermon can be a blessing. Even the short ones can be a blessing, I guess. I wouldn't know too much about that. But, right? And getting better, right? Physically can be a blessing, absolutely, right? And getting a better job is a blessing, and, and getting healed from sickness is a blessing, and buying a home that fits your family's needs certainly can be a blessing. And so I'm not saying that those things are not blessings in themselves. The problem is that I'm saying that what we're talking about is that we are hardwired to pursue blessings of this world and to equate that is the best that God has to offer. The physical and the material and the emotional blessings of the world all the while will neglect the true blessings, the real blessings that we have in Christ. You want to know why so many people can't seem to be satisfied no matter how, how many material blessings they gain? You want to know why so many Christians suffer from depression and anxiety and fear in spite of having so many external blessings? You want to know why so many people who have been blessed abundantly feel like they're still not blessed at all? You want to know why you want to know why some people have all the external things that they could have ever want to make them happy but still live under a cloud of shame and self-hatred? It's because they've lost sight of what it truly means to be blessed. They've lost sight of what the Bible calls a blessing. Many people just don't understand the true blessing of the gospel. They don't understand the depth and the value of the blessings that are found in the work of Christ. They become so focused on external, physical things that they've missed the spiritual. Paul says in this text that those who were righteous by faith experience a blessing. The blessing of the forgiveness of sins. But so many people in this world who call themselves Christians, their response to God in this is, well, that's nice, but what else? What else? There's got to be more of a Christian life than that, right? That's why people who buy, buy into a gospel that promises health and wealth and happiness because the blessing of the gospel of grace isn't enough for them. This is why so many people get twisted up about social justice because the blessing of a gospel right, is not enough to satisfy them. Having peace with God and having peace with all other believers is not enough for them. This is why certain heretical groups claim to be the only one true church or the only one group of people that God cares about because the, because the blessing of the gospel is not exclusive enough for them. They want to feel like they're a part of some enlightened group that no one else can be a part of. The promise of the gospel being for all who believe is just not exclusive enough for them and to satisfy their self-centeredness. This is why so many people are obsessed with the end times and the, and the idea of doomsday because the certainty of the blessing of the gospel and the sure victory that we've already been given in the gospel for those who believe, doesn't shine bright enough to overshadow the coming darkness. This is why so many people have fallen into moralistic, therapeutic deism because the blessing of the gospel and being reconciled to God by faith doesn't seem to be as important as becoming a better and more rounded, well-adjusted human being. 
Many people would come to the church and come to different forms of religion seeking for things other than the promised blessing of the gospel. And I believe the reason for that is because we just don't truly understand. They don't understand what the gospel is, and, and, and they certainly don't understand the overwhelming blessing that God offers us in the gospel of grace. This is why they look to God primarily for material blessings. This is why people look to God and religion for physical blessings. Some people even look to God and, and to religion for, for political and national blessings. Hence the social gospel and liberation theology. This is why many people look to God for self-centered blessings. It's about me. Rather than resting in the overwhelming blessing God has poured out on us, not only by His common grace and all the things that He's given us, but His special grace that He's given us in Christ. And the reason for that is, is that the reason for that is many not only not don't fully understand. The reason for that is many people not only do not fully understand the true depth of the gospel. They don't understand what it means to be blessed for being declared righteous. They don't understand the blessing of being forgiven for their sins. They don't understand the, the, the blessing of justification. And the reason for that is because the church in the 20th and the 21st century have failed to teach that. The church, instead of telling people to come to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, they're being told, come to Jesus so you can be a better person. Tell me I'm wrong. They're being told, come to Jesus and he will give your life meaning because that's what you really need is meaning. They're being told to come to, come to, to the church and come to Jesus to get your fire insurance so that you can escape hell and go get your ticket punched to heaven. They're, they're saying, come to Jesus so that you can es escape some earthly tribulation that may or may not happen in the next century or the following one. Today, they're being told, come to Jesus so you can change the world because that's what it's about. Come to Jesus so that you can be the best social justice warrior you can be. Come to Jesus so you can be... You know, so God can be your personal cosmic butler to answer all of your questions and, and fulfill all of your life's desires. That's what the church has been teaching for the last century. Instead of how to be reconciled to God through the blessing of justification and forgiveness of sin, which, by the way, is by our culture and our nation is in the shape that it's in. The church has been teaching its teaching the world that it's all about them instead of it being all about him. And we're seeing the outworking of that, that self-centered theology in all of our lives. People look at the kids today and wonder why they're behaving the way they are. They're behaving the way they are is because that's how we taught them to be. That's how our culture's taught them to be. Guess what? That's how the church has taught them to be. It didn't start externally. It started from in here. Well, in the midst of Paul's explaining the gospel, he takes the time to remind his audience and us of the real blessing that is from God, the blessing of righteousness and of forgiveness. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. In verse 5, picking up where we left off last week, he says, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, faith is counted as righteousness. So this right here is the major point that Paul has been putting forward in his gospel. Right? This is the point that the whole thing turns on, and now he's defending his position that God who is just, the God who is holy, the God who is perfectly righteous, he justifies sinners. What an... What a strange concept. He justifies sinners who have done nothing to make themselves right with God, and he just them simply on the basis of faith apart from works. That's been the high point of his gospel so far. Paul began his gospel, if you remember, with the bad news, indicting the Gentiles and making it clear that the whole world stands under God's divine wrath because of their sin. And then Paul 
not leaving any stones unturned, turns to the Jews and makes it clear that they're no better off than the Gentiles, that they're in the same position. Because for all of their posturing and their superiority complex, they are just as condemned as the Gentiles are, meaning that all of mankind is in the same shape before God, hopeless and helpless, sinners who deserve God's wrath. But God, the good news in His grace, put His Son forward as an offering to satisfy in His own divine justice and wrath so that those who believe and have faith in Christ are declared righteous and have their sins completely forgiven. And, and none of this has anything to do with what we can do for God. It's a divine act of grace received simply by faith. And so in summary, Paul says, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted or is credited as righteousness. The person who believes is counted as completely righteous as if they kept the entire law and fulfilled the covenant of works. And then Paul says, that says, this is the blessing. Just as David speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from, the, from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now, there is a, a whole lot to tackle in this very short section. It might not seem like it, but I promise you there is. First of all, Paul quotes King David's words in Psalm 32. In Psalm 32, beginning of verse 1, David writes this, Blessed is the one who tra whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up. As by the summer, the heat of summer, Selah, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. King David writes this blessing of his forgiveness. And the reason why he could write such a passionate discourse about the blessing of forgiveness is because he has experienced God's forgiveness. And the thing that we need to remember is that David, the man after God's own heart, the man that God selected to be the king, was not guilty of some minor indiscretions. He was guilty of horrific, vile sin before God. He lusted after another man's wife. He then acted on that lust and slept with her. He then lied to her husband and to everyone else and tried to cover it up. And when that didn't work, he created a conspiracy that got other people involved in his sin. And on top of all of that, then he had her husband murdered. Now, I know that all of you are capable of egregious sins. All of us. We have all committed terrible sins before God, but David's sins, I'm going to tell you, are, are next level kind of sins. I mean, I'm sure you've done some bad stuff in your life, but, but have they really risen to the level of what David's sins have? Not only is there lust and unfaithfulness towards his wife Abigail, but he engages in adultery, bearing false witness, endangering the eternity of other people around him as they get involved in sin. Conspiracy, murder, not to mention because he was acting as, as God's appointed leader, right, to God's people, he was then guilty by implication of blaspheming God's name by his action. David's sin was on par with a cold-blooded killer that we would send to prison for life. Do you understand that? If, I mean, think about this. I mean, we look back at David, and rightfully so. We look at him as a hero of the faith, right? But today, if he lived today, we would not celebrate him. If he was alive today and did the things that he did, we would not celebrate him. We would be calling for justice to be done upon him, rightfully so. We would expect that whatever judge he faced would send him to prison for the rest of his life. That is how bad his sins 
were. By the way, that's why he wrote Psalm 51. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and have done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in the truth and the inward being and you teach me wisdom and the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. We sing this song. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David was guilty of horrific sin and he understood that. If he under, and he also understood if he remained in that sin, he knew if he remained in his sin, even if he got away with it, that it didn't matter how much money he had. He knew that it didn't matter how many women he got to sleep with. He, he knew that it didn't matter how powerful he was and, and how famous he could be. It didn't matter if he had all the best experiences that life had to offer, and it didn't matter that he was considered to be blessed by all the world. He knew that if he didn't find God's forgiveness, he was not blessed. He was cursed. It didn't matter what earthly blessings look like to him. He understood the truth. If he didn't find forgiveness, he was not blessed. And this is the point that you and I have to understand. If you don't find righteousness, the righteousness of God, if you don't find the forgiveness of sin, you are not blessed. You are cursed. This is the message that the world struggles to understand and to hear. This is the message that the world wants to shut out. They want to promise you everything else that your, for, to make your heart content, but they don't want you to hear this. If you do not find the forgiveness of sins in Christ, you are not blessed, you are cursed. No matter how many material and physical blessings you experience in this life, no matter if you have all the money you could ever want, Even if you're healthy every day of your life, no matter how many people love you and know your name, no matter how big your house is and how long your vacations are, no matter how many wonderful and pleasing experiences you have, it doesn't matter if you wake up every single day with a smile on your face and then you go to bed in the same condition. You can have all the material and physical and sexual and emotional blessings in this world that they have to offer. But in the end, if you have not found the forgiveness of sin, you are not blessed. You are cursed. And all the 80 plus years that you live on this ball of dirt will amount to nothing. As you will spend eternity in torment, enduring the wrath and the justice of a just and holy God. That's what our, our catechism told us today. And that's what David himself understood. Having your belly full is a temporary thing. Being loved by your family is still only a temporary thing. Having reliable transportation is only a temporary thing. But to be made righteous, to be forgiven of your sins is, is an eternal, eternal blessing of God. That is why David cried out for forgiveness. And that's why he wrote Psalm 32 when he found forgiveness. That's, that's the first thing we see. The second thing I want you to notice is that Paul connects the dots for, from David's words and shows us the connection between righteousness and forgiveness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing 
of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin. Again, this emphasizes, again, the grace of the gospel because this isn't about what we do. It's about what God counts or credits to us. In our justification, God counts us or or credits us with righteousness. Notice it's, it's in both of these expressions. While at the same time, He doesn't count or credit our sin to us. In this, we see both God's mercy and His grace. In God's mercy, He doesn't count our sin and give us the punishment that we do deserve for that. But in God's grace, He credits us with the righteous standing that we don't deserve. And both David and Paul understand this. Both David and Paul were mighty men of God who did incredible things for God, who were also men who had blood on both of their hands. Both of them have been guilty of horrific sin. Both of them have, have, were forgiven and made righteous, not by what they could do for God, but by faith in the Messiah. David was looking forward to the promise of the Messiah. Paul was looking backward in the fulfillment in Christ. What we see is in Christ we have both the forgiveness of our sins and His righteousness is credited to us as if it's our own. This is the fullness of the gospel that we oftentimes miss. Not only did He forgive us of our sins, but He makes us completely righteous. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him him we might become the righteousness of God. The idea of this exchange, the idea of the exchange of sin and righteousness by faith is not something that's new. It is the gospel fundamental. David and Paul both knew that they needed to be forgiven and to be made righteous. And this is what we have in the gospel. This is the blessing of God. The third thing I want you to notice is the words themselves, blessing and blessed. David speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works and then says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count sin. Both the noun which is blessing, and the adjective blessed are from the exact same root word, which is the verb that means to bless. And this word to bless, if you translate it literally, means to enlarge or to extend. Now that might seem kind of strange to us, but if you kind of like could grasp this concept, you'll actually really understand the nature of what real blessing is. Pastor Kevin Stone says that the idea behind makarios, which is the word we get for bless, is is that something is made large or lengthy. When, When God blesses us, He extends us the benefits. He enlarges His mercy to us. He lengthens His charity in our direction. The idea that God is extending something to us, is built into the word bless. The whole idea of bless or blessing or blessed is that God has has done something for us. It's what God Himself is extending to us. It's the idea that God is the one who's doing the doing. The word blessing, which is a noun, communicates the condition or state of receiving eternal blessings from God. These blessings from God are spoken in the Bible and are not trivial or temporal things. They are enduring and eternal things. So what every every blessing, whatever blessing that you might think that you would have by a raise in your salary is nothing compared to the blessing from God that's found in the gospel. And then the adjective blessed can also mean happy. We, that's the one we relate to the most, right? 
It means happy or to be in an enviable position. Well, why are you happy or in, in, in an enviable possession? Well, one author puts it this way. Blessed describes a believer in an enviable or fortunate position from receiving God's provision or favor, which literally extends or, or his grace or benefits to them. This happens with receiving the Lord's inbirthing faith. By the way, that's why faith in blessed are so closely associated in this text. I make this point to draw our attention here because we need to rediscover what being blessed really means. We need to rediscover, rediscover the true blessings that come from God and the blessings that are, more, that, that are much bigger and much more important and more enduring than anything else the physical world has to offer us. In fact, the true enduring blessings from God are not really like the blessings of the rest of this world. In fact, let me just illustrate this for you in Jesus' own words. If you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Beginning in verse 3. Jesus himself says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I know all of you all at some point in your life has probably been poor financially. And being poor financially does not feel like a blessing. But he says, blessed are the poor in spirit here. And then he even says that there's a promise with that condition. He says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So obviously the blessings of God are different than the blessings of the world. Then he goes on and says, blessed, blessed are those who mourn. Definitely not on my top 10 list of things I would have considered to be a blessing. But again, Jesus says that it is, and he says, for they will be comforted. And then he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Right? Then he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then look at this one, verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Once again, not something I would have wrote on the list of blessings but he says, rejoice. Okay. Look at that. Rejoice. Be glad. Why? Because they're persecuting me? Yes. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. See, notice the location of the blessing. Your reward will endure forever and will be great in heaven in eternity. This is the thing that we need to come to understand as Christians. Are we living for the temporal or are we living for the eternal? That's the difference. The problem with the church and the problem with many Christians is they, they can't have the blessings of this world. They, if, they, if they can't have all the things that the world has to offer, if they can't have the money and the purpose and the love and the entertainment, if they can't have those things, they struggle to see what God gives us in the gospel is a blessing. We're so earthly-minded, there were no heavenly good. But the blessings of God, the ones that He offered to us in the gospel are enduring. They are eternal. They are transformative. They are the things that bring true joy and true peace and true comfort. And these blessings are fully complete. In fact, notice that we have complete forgiveness in Christ. We have complete forgiveness in Christ. David uses a threefold formula to express how extensive and complete the blessing and forgiveness is. Whenever the Bible repeats something more than once, you know it's important. When they say it three times, three different ways, there's an emphatic point being made. It's like when the Bible calls God holy, holy, holy. What the Bible is saying is He is as holy as anything possibly can be. Now you have a threefold repetition of the forgiveness of sin. Notice that David says, Blessed is the man whose lawless deeds are forgiven. He could have just left it there and that would have been enough. 
but he didn't want to leave anything to doubt. So he says, blessed is the man whose sins are covered, which then brings us to the imagery of Genesis where God covers the sin of Adam and Eve. And it brings us to the Levitical system when, where they cover the sins of the nation of Israel by the blood of the sacrificial lamb. And then he says, blessed is the man who God doesn't count his sin. God doesn't credit the sins of those who trust in Christ, but rather counts them as righteous. He covers their sin with the sacrifice of Christ. And because of Christ's propitiation and God's wrath being satisfied, the sins are forgiven. And the thing that you need to understand about the Greek word forgiven here in this text properly means to send away or to discharge or to release. See, this is not some form of passive forgiveness. This isn't human forgiveness where you go, okay, I forgive you. This is not just a turning a blind eye to the sin. This is, this is God removing our sin from us and casting it away from us. As David says in Psalm 103, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And look at this, he says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now the thing is, is what you got to realize is David knew exactly what he was talking about when he says this. Because if you think about a globe, and if you think about traveling in any direction if you go north and you continue to go north at some point you will reach the furthest point you can go north and then you will begin to change direction and go south but when you travel east you can keep traveling east forever and you will never ever ever go west you never change direction do you understand that you see, north and south have an intersecting point, but east and west don't have an intersecting point. So as far as the east is from the west is an infinite amount of space. And David says that God will take our sin and separate it from us as far as the east is from the end. This is an infinite distance. God removes our transgressions from us. This is a complete and total forgiveness. We are completely forgiven, not mostly forgiven. Not forgiven of 99.999999% of stuff. We are forgiven completely. Every one of our sins, not just the venial ones, not just the accidental ones, but the ones you did on purpose, the ones that are egregious, the ones that are horrific, and not just the ones in the past, and not just the ones that you are going to do today, but the ones in the future also. We have complete, total forgiveness of sins in Christ. That is the blessing of forgiveness. That is the blessing of being counted righteous. That is the blessing of our justification before a holy and righteous God. God does all the things for you that you could never do for yourself and then gives you all that you really need through Christ that you could never do on your own or earn on your own. And all of this is received as a gift through faith. That is the blessing. That is the blessing. And it's time, brothers and sisters, for us to live in this blessing. It's time for us to really see it for what it is and allow it to shape our lives. It's time for us to see what God has done for us and to live in the joy that it really should be bringing us. Because many of us are so distracted right now. Many, many of us at times have lost sight of this blessing. I mean, I know, I know. There's a lot going on. I know that the world in different angles is pulling on you, tugging on you. I know that some of you have really deep needs. Some of you are battling emotional struggles. Identify with that. I know some of you might be battling loss, perhaps even loneliness. Some of you, maybe you're having struggles with your health, right? And the diagnosis in the future might seem really, really scary right now in this moment. 
I know some of you are struggling with money and paying your bills. And I know some of you whose hearts are super heavy because you're worried about your kids and your grandkids. Some of you are worried about how this war in Europe is going to affect us and the rest of the world. I know <laughs> we all have family members in the military. Some of you are worried about inflation and fuel prices, certainly relevant things. I know some of you maybe are just tired and wore out and you feel overworked and underappreciated and unimportant and unloved. And some of you are simply overwhelmed because it's just all too much and you just want a little relief. And in those moments, it can feel like we are not blessed. And that is and that our greatest need somehow is some material blessing, some external blessing. A little more money would be nice, right? A little peace would be a blessing. A little time off would be a blessing. A bigger house, a newer car. A clear CT scan would be a blessing. And it is true those things would be blessings in their own way. And they certainly would make differences in our lives. But understand, they're only going to make a difference for a very short time. Because in the end, those physical blessings will all fade away. All of them will. But you cannot take any money with you as they, as they asked about the rich man who died. How much money did he leave? He left it all. And all that you possess will end up in the hands of someone else. Do you understand that, right? Everything that you own, everything you hold valuable and dear and that you take care of and put under plastic or whatever you do with it, it will be in somebody else's hands and they will do with it what they will. And all of your efforts to take care of yourself and protect your family will eventually fail because everyone you know and everyone you love will step out in, step out of this material world and into eternity. And in that moment, you will learn who truly is blessed and who isn't. And so here's the thing, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are truly blessed. You possess a blessing that can never be taken from you, a blessing that exceeds all the value of all the money in all of the universe. As John Piper puts it this way, he says this. This right here is worth the price of admission, by the way. You cannot be richer than a Christian. Put all the billionaires together, they are paupers. I mean, poverty-stricken paupers compared to the lowliest Christian. If you are a Christian... You are blessed abundantly. We really ought to live like we are. Maybe the world might actually take us seriously about what we say about the good news. If you're in Christ, you are blessed more than you can possibly imagine, even if you never get rich, even if you never get married, even if you never experience full justice for the wrongs that were committed against you in this life. Even if you never have the house of your dreams, you are blessed beyond what you could possibly measure. You are blessed because all of your sins, even the ones that you don't even want to say out loud and speak of, are forgiven. Past, present, and future. And you are blessed because God, the Creator God in heaven, loves you. We say that, right? I think we've cheapened that expression in, in the American culture too much because we just run around going, God loves you, right? Which is true, but I just don't think we, we put it in the right context, right? I think we, we don't appreciate it enough. You understand, you, a sinner who's rebelled against God from from your childhood who has done everything possible to make God hate you and given him a million reasons to leave you behind, that God, by his own grace, loves you. 
And he loved you enough to send his son into the world to live the perfect life that you couldn't live, to fulfill the law and the covenant of works you couldn't fulfill, and earning a righteousness you could never earn on your own. And then he willingly went to the cross and he traded places with you. And on that cross, your sins were counted, credited to Christ. And he bore in his body the wrath and, and the, the, the hatred of, God's, of God against your sin that you rightly deserve. And he died in your place. And as Paul would later go on to say, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you were blessed because your sins are forgiven. You were blessed because God loves you. And you were blessed because you can live in the hope of the promise that God has made you that one day all things will be made right. That's the hope that we hold on to. Our hope isn't in this world. Our hope isn't peace in Europe. We want it now, but that's not our ultimate hope. Our hope isn't in this life. It is in the next, where there is no more poverty, where there is no more loneliness, where there is no more injustice, where we have no more anxiety or depression or fear or cancer or COVID-19, where there are no hidden agendas or hateful words or betrayal from best friends, where there is no loss or pain or death. As, the, as Revelation 21 tells us, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself, hear these words, God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. If you are in Christ, brothers and sisters, rejoice because you are truly blessed by God. But if you're not in Christ, then repent today. Repent today and believe the gospel so that you too will be blessed and no longer cursed. We shouldn't lose anyone if they would just hear and believe. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.